Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, and welcome back for episode six of the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. San Diego's number one sports podcast network. Number six. We're still doing that segment, right? Who wore number six the best? Let's do it. Uh, who do you have for it? I'm going to go Miami Heat LeBron James when he switched number six. Didn't he just go back to six? No, he was. he's still at 23. I thought he was switching. He was going to, but then... Uh, oh, Nike got pissed or they something? They realized he would have to buy out all the old 23 jerseys. Didn't want to do that. <laughs> he could afford to do that, though. That's the thing. He it, could. That wouldn't mean anything to him. Uh, number six for me... I have no attachment to number six. Uh, Bill Russell wore six. I think hot take alert here. Overrated player. Bill Russell. You don't think he's one of the best centers of all time? Uh, No, I think he was very lucky when he decided to be an NBA player. He was born at the right time as a, at a time in the NBA when everyone was six foot four and white. And he emerged as like the six, nine two twenty player that no one ever had seen before. And was able to thrive in an environment where competition wasn't at its best. I mean, he can't argue with his rings. He's got the rings, yeah, but he's only in these conversations because of rings. It's never like LeBron's in the conversation for best all time because you start going through his stats and his his body and what he can do on the court. And Bill Russell, the argument used is to. he has LeBron rings. Used to be able to. Yeah. Now he's the, way over the hill. But when you Lakers. when you compare him to Jordan, that's what the LeBron people will do. And when they throw Russell in, oh, is Russell one of the best of all time? Well, you just count the rings. That's all you have on him because he really wasn't that dynamic of a player. That's a pretty scorching hot take there. Ooh, thank you. Uh, save it for the basketball podcast. Anyway, Stan Musial, also number six, and Julius Irving, number six. So baseball, it's it's Musial. Uh, nobody else really stands out for baseball. Do you think of anybody? Lou Gehrig. Was he four? Stats department. Wow, that was a terrible job typing. Um, four. All right. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. So anyway, on today's show, we're going to do some rookie of the year talk. So rookies are prospect-ish. They're on the border, I think, because it's their first season playing. And they were prospects very recently. So we're going to do a rookie of the year talk anyway. And the Padres happen to have a guy that is... I think in second place right now in, on Bovada, at least in terms of rookie of the year candidates with the best odds. So number one, it's Pete Alonso. Number two, Fernando Tatis Jr. Talk about the case for both of them in our completely unbiased opinions. We're going to spend some more talk, more time talking about Luis Arias, Wade's boy, who has been terrible. So cold. In his most recent call up to the Padres. I I don't know what you do with him anymore because it's been a week since I was like, let's pump the brakes on him and give him a, a minute to fail. And he's failed so spectacularly. Miserably. Also, who's standing out on the farm? We've been talking. There's going to be an interview with uh, Chris Welsh at the end of the podcast today. Chris Welsh does In This League and he does Prospect One, which is a podcast covering all minor leaguers. And you guys should check that out at the end. He's a very smart guy. He lives out in Arizona, covers the Arizona League which is uh, basically just full of the youngest of the young guys, but some really exciting players on the Arizona league. And then when the Arizona fall league happens, he's all over that too. That's 
the end of uh, that's October when the seasons are all all done and the the best of the best prospects kind of go out to Arizona for I think it's just a few weeks and they they do what's called the Arizona Fall League. So we talked to him about some guys and uh, I wanted to to dive into some prospect spotlight, which we haven't done in a while, of Tucupita Marcano from Loe. That's a fun name to say. Francisco, that's fun to say. <laughs> Nailed it. And then Edward Olivares from, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but he's from AA Amarillo. We talk, me and Chris Welsh talk about him a little bit. Do you think the Sod Poodles Oof. are a better mascot than the Chihuahuas? That's a tough call. No, I don't think so. Not better. I think they have. Different, more unique, but I go I go to Chihuahua. I think I got to go with my Sod Poodles. And I think the, Ch- the Chihuahuas have the better logo. The Sod Poodle hat is amazing. I think both designed by the same company, Brandios in San Diego. Correct. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, hands down, Padres have the best minor league. Tin Caps, pretty sneaky good. I like the Tin Caps a and lot, the too. Storm, that hat. Storm's classic. It's been around for a while now, but uh, still very strong. I would put our minor league system Up logos, anybody. names against anyone. Yeah. Actually, we, sh- we could do that for next time. Let's... uh. We'll do like a power rankings of the top. We'll do it'll be like a combination of the, the name plus the logo and see Gotta give the trash pandas a shout out there. They I think they start next year. Oh, they're not yet. So they might not make this list. And also what makes this really difficult is that there are a buttload of minor league teams. And so they're always changing their names too. Always moving, always changing their names. So Chihuahuas have been the margaritas this year. Well yeah, and the 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 Chihuahuas have also been the Flying Chonklas a few times, but those are specialty names. We're not going to go into those. We'll just go with the tried and true. The tried and true, sure. Uh, but first, let's do the news. So the newsiest thing we have going on was the game today, which the Padres lost to the Giants. Brutal. Uh, they covered the live betting uh, over-under that I jumped in on at 12 and a half with a Will Myers home run. In really the struggled there until that last out. I was sweating over here. You didn't know I jumped in on that uh, that over at 12 and a half. and Just saw you start screaming. Yeah, Will Myers is a meaningless no home run. Was going on. <laughs> I was so stoked on it. Thank you, Will, who's been terrible. He saved my ass today. But Adrian Morajon, they threw in the opener roll again. This is back-to-back outings. He pitched last Sunday. It was last Sunday, right? Yes, Let's last go. Sunday, and then uh, the Hendricks lookalike followed him up last Who's Sunday. That? Oh, you know, Cal Quantrill. Oh, Cal Quantrill, the the future Kyle Hendricks, who the didn't f- have a great start to his career, so maybe that's not the best comp. Cal Quantrill looked great the other day. Just stick him in the pen, and then no. he comes out and he's great. No, he's, just he's earned his his or make him a starter, a starter, but make him come in after I don't have. Have Hedges throw one pitch and then bring Quantrill in. Just to throw the Yeah, just psychologically, he's off. the bullpen guy. Who did that last year in the World Series? Did someone do that? Yeah, against no the way. Dodgers. They went with a lefty and then threw to one batter, switched to a righty. Oh, yeah. the Rays, I think the Rays did do that. No. Who was in the World Series last year? Who was in the World Series? Yeah, against the Dodgers. The Red Sox. They didn't do it. Someone did it against the, the Brewers did it against the Dodgers. You're right. It was the Brewers. It was in the playoffs too. Okay. Yeah. Just trolled Dave Roberts. It was pretty funny. I remember that. We need more of that stuff in baseball. So Morihone in the opener role again, which I like, but they paired him with Eric Lauer this time. So both were lefties. Lauer got roughed up last time, so he didn't have 
Morihone didn't look that all that special today. Wasn't sharp. Lauer definitely wasn't sharp. And then and Perdomo Lauer got lit up. Perdomo in his was previous start. So terrible. I I'm, I might be done with Perdomo. You need guys at the back or the front of your bullpen, I guess, to just eat bullpen innings. And he's kind of a guy. Him and Erlen are guys that do that. But but now they have Strom in there. They have, their cup runneth over. They have Strom, the Michel Baez, Cal Quantrill. They've got Andres Munoz. Guys all over the place now that can do it. I don't know. Today was just a bullpen day. So that's the thinking there. I don't think there was any kind of strategic thinking with Morihone, then Lauer. They're both really similar. But Not really. Morihone has much greater fastball. They're they're about the same. Eric Lauer's fastball can pump up to 94, 95, no problem. Morihone can pump it up a little faster, but they're coming in from the same side. They're not blowing anyone away. That's not really their game. So that's what I mean by... Similar enough, there's not a big contrast like there was when you flip it around and it's Kyle Quantrill throwing a whole different arsenal now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do like the move of the opener. I wish they would do more of just the two-starter thing that we talked about where Morihone maybe goes a little longer, goes four innings. Yeah, and you only let him throw 40 pitches. And then you go Lauer, who can maybe go another three or four innings, and then basically the game's over unless you have to pull him, which they ended up doing. And Perdomo was kind of the long guy today. But that's basically just because Perdomo let the game get away from him and they couldn't do anything about it. Anyway, if Morihone is on the trade block, which we kind of assume he's being talked about in some of these trades, I'm not sure what throwing him out there for two innings does. What what do you think the the thinking is there with Preller and Andy Green? I don't I'm not sure whose decision that is. I'm assuming it's AJ Preller's decision to tell Andy Green, hey, we only want him to to open the games. Like they they have to be on the same page with this, don't they? Preller and Green. You'd think so. I mean, ultimately, it's it's down to Andy Green's decision because he's the one who can pull him at any point. Preller's, who can pull him? Yeah, Preller's but there has not to be on I'm his sh- cell phone calling Andy Green every game. True, but I'm sure there's a plan when you bring up a young guy like this, and the strategy has been clearly he's going to open the games and not pitch five, six innings. There's a there's a pitch count on him, and that pitch count comes from upstairs. I would think. You would think. I would. Maybe we need to talk to somebody about this. Maybe I'll try to get uh, Doug Bockler on. I mean, I don't think Andy Green's going to have that position much more. So maybe you'll be able to get him on the pod. It would just be weird unemployed. if AJ Preller is calling up Morihone to start. And then Andy Green just kind of by himself decides, oh, he'll just be the opener and pitch two innings here, two innings there every time. It, that wouldn't make any sense to me. When he's that young, do we even want him up if you're just trying to trade him? I don't, I don't get Just that either. Just let him get the power stats. So that's what I wanted to – I was going to ask you about that too. If if he's a potential trade chip, which I assume he is when we're – Stroman just got traded today right before this podcast got off the ground. But Syndergaard is still out there as of Sunday at 4.52 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. There, I don't know what the plan is with Morihone to showcase him if he's potentially a guy in these trades. Then what are we doing with him? Just only throwing him a couple innings at a time. And, I mean, giving him the chance to get blown up, you know? Well, it didn't really get blown up, but didn't get a chance to – didn't really get a chance to do anything, realistically. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to jump into Michelle Baez, who has been pitching out of the bullpen lately. And just – I've been watching him more carefully, I guess, than many of the other young guys. His fastball – 9798 which you think is really impressive doesn't stand out that much anymore. I've been noticing pretty much everybody not pretty much everybody, but a lot of 
starting pitchers are now throwing 97, 98 regularly and you wouldn't expect Post it. Tommy John too. And you wouldn't expect it. So like Jacob deGrom the other day was pitching against the Padres and he was just living at 97, 98. In like the seventh inning. Yeah. I'm like, what are, what's going on? What, what kind of age is this? And I, I really do think everyone's been talking about the home run ball and how the ball is smoother. Uh, the, everything's tighter on it. The seams are tighter, but the leather's also tighter. There's less drag. I've, I've coined this the drag coefficient era officially starting just a couple years ago. That's going to catch on. Wait. Sure. So, but I think that affects fastball velocity as well. It has to. Right. Faster it comes in, the faster it goes yeah, out. Yeah. There's less drag on the ball that also will affect pitchers. And maybe guys that were throwing 95 regularly are now just throwing 97. It's just, it's a small little bump, but it makes everyone kind of take a step back. And now every time someone throws 98, the announcers have to make a big deal out of it that, oh, he's, he's pumping gas at 98. Well, everyone's throwing 98. And Michelle Baez, who you were talking about, does he develop a changeup? He's Which been, has been unreal. He's, he's been throwing changeup. the changeup a ton. Yeah. I don't know it's where this came his from. his best pitch right now. They were, they were going over that a ton in the broadcast all week about his, I mean, when he hit Pete Alonso and Pete Alonso was barking at him going that up the first base. such horseshit. Pete, he threw he a, a changeup It was 86. you're going to bark at him? 86 in your back. What are you so upset about? When you have zero hits in the series. I Really um, anti Pete Alonso right now. Very much so. It started with Paddock, and now he's going to chirp it at uh, Michelle, my boy. So of uh, all the young guys, though, Michelle has looked the best. I mean, he still hasn't given up a run. In hasn't the had a big sample. He's pitching in the bullpen, so you're only seeing him one inning, one in the third, one in two thirds. He's, I mean, he's making guys look silly up there, though. The fastball is straight, so that's his only problem. I'm a little worried about the straightness of the fastball because 98 guys are geared up for now. It's not what it used to be. It's coming from a different angle though, since he's so tall. I love that the downward plane is huge. That's, that's a big factor, but at the same time, that's going to lead to high strikeout rates, but also high home run rates because he's shown a proclivity to give up home runs, even in the minors. And in this era where everyone's trying to loft the ball, they have these big uppercut swings the the downward plan on the fastball is not as effective as it used to be when guys had level swings. That made it a lot harder to square up. That's why you like tall starting pitching. When the ball's coming downward, it's hard to hit straight. Right. But everyone's aiming up now. The path that the ball is taking to the bat is now straight again because everyone's taking a big uppercut swing. Does and that make any sense? It does. And in doing your scouting of him, it seems like he's pretty much only throwing out the stretch, even to start innings now. Yeah, he does like a little baby step that's um i think Syndergaard does the same thing a lot of starting pitchers have adopted this they're in the stretch and they just do kind of a meaningless step back which doesn't it's not a full wind up there's no momentum built here it's it's basically just like a little hitch in their their uh wind up but it's he's exclusively out of the stretch and if you're going to be an out of the stretch guy it just it's puts up the reliever flag right away it, right there, it's no it's not looking like a starter no but i do i mean some starters pull it off. Like I mentioned, Syndergaard does this and some other guys do it. But if I was Darren Balsley, I wouldn't want my starters to be doing that. And when we get Syndergaard in a couple of days, maybe he goes back to an old windup and maybe he starts throwing his uh, two seamer more, something like that. I'm trusting Balsley to fix for Syndergaard for sure. Oh, so you're claiming Syndergaard's coming to the Padres. Oh, I'm claiming it right now. Syndergaard's coming and Balsley's going to fix him and he's going to be a Cy Young candidate next season. If you're the Mets, then why did you just get Stroman? That makes no sense. Does anything the Mets do make sense? No. They went all in and traded for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, both of whom have been terrible 
this season. And they are... Well, Cano hit three home runs against us this week in one game. Uh, the Padres pitching historically has been able to make a lot of guys look good, though. If you go back in time. I hate to admit it, but... Yeah, I'm right. I know. You are right there. But also, the Mets uh, gave up nothing to get him. Like, if you're the Padres... Strumming? Yeah. If you're the Padres... Who'd they give up? The deal was for two minor leaguers, Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. Well, I've, ne- I've never heard of either. Of don't roll your eyes at minor leaguers. Minor, now nah, I'm voice cracking. Minor leaguers. The show is about minor leaguers. Right. We love but minor leaguers. If two guys you've never heard of. I've heard of Anthony pa- Kay. Although I have e- easily given up that. I know nothing about Anthony Kay. But I think the thinking is you're, you'd are you only get Stroman for one year next year. So it's not worth. But we're all in next year. We are all in next year. One thing we were talking about when this deal first happened and we were trying to figure out who these guys were, why did the Padres or why did Preller not offer something any better when the Padres have such a superior farm system compared to the Mets, which they do the blue Jays who are going to be asking for prospects back, see that the the quality of the Padres is much better. They're going to ask for better quality players. If you're talking to the blue Jays who have, uh, or the Mets, sorry, who have an inferior system, you end up settling for inferior prospects. So you talk to the better team like the Padres, you want more back. That's just kind of how it works. You see that in trades kind of a lot. So you're saying we're in a bad position to make a trade? Because our prospects are so good. Unless you feel like Preller should have been trading like really good prospects to get Stroman for just – this year's gone. Okay, so – He's I not going to. Our thirtieth prospect has to be better than anyone the Mets just got in that trade. Uh, I would have to dive into that a little more. I, I haven't researched Anthony K that much, but I would say comfortably our fifteenth best prospect is probably better than Anthony K. Right, I was exaggerating there. Okay, thirty. But if we were talking to the Blue Jays about it, they they probably want better than our fifteenth. They'd get they want a top ten guy, which you know on paper sounds reasonable. But the top 10 guys for the Padres are all way better than any of the top 10 for the Mets. Right, and for only one year of control, too, of Stroman. It doesn't do a lot for me, so I'm I'm fine. Uh, Stroman, no, nothing's happening this year, so it's it's a one-year deal, basically. Syndergaard is, would be here for next year and the year after. So that's your guy. That's and, they're ask, you go get. and I'm sure the Mets are asking for a ton right now. And again, being the Padres, when you have so many good players, maybe Preller... You just need to take the L on the trade. So, or what if Preller goes and gets both of them from the Mets? That's, I don't know. That'd be that'd be a lot, and I don't think they really need to do it. But anyway, kind of getting off track here. It's an interesting idea, but I I really don't see it happening. There's no reason to for one year of Stroman and two years of Syndergaard. Two years of Syndergaard, you can give up more, but I don't. I'm not the biggest Stroman guy. Maybe He's two weeks. Great ago. on Twitter though. You've ever seen his Twitter? Two weeks ago, I may have been more interested. I'd say he's up there with the best of the MLB players on Twitter. Let's get to our first seg of the day, which is NL Rookie of the Year talk. I never heard of half of these guys, and the ones I do know are way past their prime. Most of these guys never had a prime. This guy here is dead. And we're talking specifically about Pete Alonso versus Fernando Tatis Jr., and we just covered Pete a little bit as uh, the scumbag. <laughs> if you want to go that far, sure. He's grown into this kind of rivalry with the Padres, and the Mets have kind of reciprocated by booing Paddock when he was in New York. And now there's drama with uh, Tatis and 
Michelle Bias, who we were talking about, who was getting stared down and chirped at by Alonzo. Just Alonzo's also twenty four. Little older. Yeah. Well, does that matter in voting? It should. Should be like the Ben Simmons in the NBA. Was he really a rookie? That's to- okay. First of all, no, he wasn't. And that gets get grinds my gears a ton when he he got that award. But anyway, it's not like Alonzo did what Simmons did last year. It's he just he still came up this season in his first he's still rookie eligible. It's it's not apples to apples, I don't think. Simmons was out of like on the roster the whole season was just hurt. Alonzo was called up just this season, same as Tatis. Yeah, I'm just trying to find ways to hate Alonzo. So what were the what were Bovada odds on this? We we were talking about this earlier as as gambling aficionados. Alonzo is the leader. He's in, currently at negative one eighty. Just and minus one eighty betting odds. So you would have to bet one hundred eighty dollars to win a hundred. Correct on rookie of the year, and, and then, then our savior El Nino is at plus two fifty. Plus two fifty is good. So you would bet a hundred dollars. You would win two fifty on that bet if Tatis. Were to were to win the award, and that's who I would, I've been trying to bet on. And on my gambling app, they don't, they're not offering midseason rookie of the year odds, which is so unfortunate. So if anyone wants to take Ryan's action, shout I, out. I want to put some money on Tatis. <laughs> I'm not making big money. I'm make, doing the podcast for free. It's not like I'm rolling it over here, but I would like to put a little cash on Tatis. Anyway, let's do a blind comparison. So if you read the show notes, way did you did you do any prep today? Contrary to popular belief, I read them like five minutes before we went on. So what was contrary to belief that you did not, or that you would actually prepare? Cause you didn't do either one of those. You're in the middle. I'm right there. You're on the fence. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you player a and player B and it's going to be obvious who's who, but it's a, uh, it's just supposed to be a blind resume and you pick who you think is deserving or who had the better season basically, because that's what rookie of the year is. You're trying to pick the rookie who had the most outstanding season. So player a in 424 plate appearances, He's hit as of this afternoon, Sunday, July 28th, 255 with 33 home runs, a 358 on base percentage, just one stolen base, a weighted runs created plus of 150. League average is supposed to be about 100, so he's been well above league average. And an F war of 3.6, which for comparison would put him right between former Padre Yasmani Grandal and Javier Baez of the Chicago Cubs. And he's, for reference, he's a first baseman. Grandal, Padre killer. He is. Like so many former other other former Padres. They all go. Dickerson today. Dickerson has been nasty. Player B. So 301 plate appearances, which is about 120 less. So I wonder who these guys both are. He's been hitting 330 with 17 home runs, 389 on base percentage, 14 stolen bases, Weighted runs created plus is 155, so slightly above player A, even though he has 100 less plate appearances. F war, 3.6. Weird, since he's had 120 less plate appearances. Right between Baez and Grundahl again, and this is a shortstop, not a first baseman like player A. So let's do one more stat. So we're talking. You left off the best stat there. Fernando Tatis. How many games has he played? Oh, nice. 69 games. His DEF or defensive runs average is a, is a tool on fan graphs that measures a defensive player or a player's defensive value relative to league average. So while other defensive metrics like 
you know, if you're an analytics guy or a sabermetrics guy at all, you've heard of these UZR, which is ultimate zone rating and DSR, which is defensive run saved. Um, unlike those which communicate a player's value relative to league average at the position, DEF on fan graphs adds positional adjustment so that you're able to compare defensive value across positions. It kind of levels the playing field. Okay. So player A is a minus 6.1. Player B is a 2.3. I don't think this is even close. Player A versus player B. It's player B for me. 100 times out of 100. Don't think it's close. Let's get your weight take on this. I mean, part of the whole thing is you have to stay healthy the entire year. So him missing that month really hurts. And then Pete Alonso, you know, East Coast bias, went to the Home Run Derby, won the Home Run Derby. So now everybody knows him. That Home Run Derby is going to give him a lot of votes, I'm sure. It is. Right. And I mean, your average baseball fan probably doesn't really know who Fernando Tatis is. Where luckily, everybody knows who Pete Alonso is. Luckily, average baseball fans are not voting on Rookie of the Year. So that's one thing I would counter you with. True. And while Pete Alonso is getting on, you know, Sports Center. Is baseball tonight even a thing anymore? Do they do? Sometimes they do. I'm a cord cutter. I don't know. Ugh. Baseball. We'll deal in, dig into that later. But baseball tonight, yeah, Sports Center, whatever shows, highlight shows you're watching that do uh, baseball, even though there's not many of those anymore. Pete Alonso's on for hitting home runs. And that's kind of it. When, that's what everybody's doing this year. Yes. But Tatis is on. He's the rare guy that's on for hitting home runs making outstanding plays at shortstop. He had a great play today. Tagging up and scoring on pop-ups at the second base. Those are sweet. Six slides going into second stealing bases or getting back to first on like a matrix play. These things are all over top plays and sports center and highlights. He's getting noticed for all those dynamic things along with hitting home runs. Alonzo just has the home runs. Tatis has literally everything else. He's beating him in average on base, stolen bases, weighted runs created plus. The war is the same, even though he's been in... He's had 123 less plate appearances, and the defensive metrics aren't even close. They're, that's the one that sticks out to me the most. It's the, an eight. It's an eight point swing in defensive DEF, metrics, and that's based on your position, right? No, this levels it out. So it's oh, your, it's based on the average of uh, just defensive. It's it's your your player's value on defense relative to league average. League it, average at your position, or it overall? normalizes all the positions to equal one rating. Because I was going to say it, first base, like first baseman and your negative 6.1. No, compared to other first basemen, that wouldn't be applicable. It's just as an overall defensive factor, you're minus 6.1. And it probably deflates first base as a, as a defensively important position. I mean, just for those stats, what's who's the highest in the league? The leader's JT Real Muto. So a guy that we thought maybe wasn't performing that great offensively has a 16.2. Christian Vasquez is second, 15.1. Then Jasmine Grandal at 12.9. These are three catchers in a row, which is interesting. So maybe it's weighted, which makes sense because when we're talking about normalizing the the stat for defensive players at all positions, it would make sense that catcher would be highest because they're, they're the most in every play. They're the most important defensive player on the field. Right. Wouldn't you agree? So the first three guys are catchers. That makes sense. The first non-catcher is Marcus Simeon, who's got 11. Paul DeYoung, your all-star that took away a spot from Fernando Tatis Jr., who's at 11. And then, you know, it goes down the list here. But Tatis at 2.3, Pete Alonso's minus 6. So did you, what did you have there? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, this award is going to come down to who remains healthy the rest of the year. Fernando Tatis needs to average 3 at-bats for the rest of the games, 58 games this year, 
to even qualify to be considered for the Silver Slugger Award. Or the right now for the batting title. For the batting title. Which right now he's four points off of who's the Mets leadoff hitter? The Mets leadoff hitter? Yeah, he's leading. It, oh, um That Jabroni was his name. I have it. Jeff McNeil. Yeah, he's four points off of Jeff McNeil, so he's right in the mix of things. So that's interesting. He can still qualify for the batting title and the silver slugger if he gets just if he keeps playing. If he, if right. he starts missing games though, they start resting him. Just like little days of rest here and there could cost him eligibility for that, which would be a bummer. Right. And you never know. I mean, it could come down to a few games. Yeah. Alonzo could get hurt too. So I think it's really coming down to whoever stays healthy the rest of the year. Well, who's more likely to get hurt? The big first baseman who doesn't run or the shortstop who's doing all kinds of crazy shit on the field every time he steps out there. I mean, unfortunately, Fernando Tatis. Tatis. There's no margin for error anymore. I mean, even today, Bumgarner threw at him right at his ankle and he went down for a little. Those scare me every time now. Where Pete Alonso's chirping back at the pitcher when he gets hit by an 80 mile an hour changeup. Let's do let's do the segment. Let's freak out about Luis Arias because it's time, and now I'm legitimately freaking out. I'm I'm nervous for him, and I'm I'm scared that this whole Luis Arias experiment is just gone. Did you gone see Kinsler? In the he came back today. Was he was he suited up, ready to go? He pinch hit. Oh, did he? I he didn't got I miss hit that. Too. God. So, Urias, who hasn't got a hit, since it's a perfect storm of shit for Luis Arias. Uh, he's just, he's two for forty four this year combined in 2019 with 14 strikeouts and those two hits were before he got sent down yeah since being called up he still hasn't got a hit he's over 20 since being recalled he has seven walks didn't walk today but he's he's had seven walks in seven games so he's what getting on base about every fourth at bat right now which yeah well better 283 on base percentage which is for a guy that's has no hits that's pretty good so imagine if he was just hitting 250 his on-base percentage is going to be huge. He, is that because he's batting in front of hedges, though, and the pitcher's just pitching around him to get to hedges? I he's don't, batting under 200? They're both really bad. So I don't know why. Why would you walk the guy who can't hit to get to the guy who can't hit? Just get them both out. I mean, yeah, seven, eight, nine in the Padres lineup. Dead. Automatic Dead outs. weight out there. But he's always been a guy that gets on base and has great back control. And you read about him going back and going back in time here a little bit. Um, from Baseball America, Baseball Hot Sheet here. This is from about a month ago. I've I've normalized the the stats. He's hit 19 home runs in 74 games for Where's AAA. Where's this power coming from? I haven't even seen him hit the ball out of the infield. And they're saying it's the ball in AAA. Well, guess what? It's the same ball they're using here. So how come he can't hit it? Well, it's hard to hit home runs when you don't even hit the ball if you're just striking out every bat. Exactly. So that's a problem. But even if you're discounting the home runs, which I think everybody is. He's one of the, he's always been considered one of the best pure hitters in the minors up there with, I mean, this year it's like Nick Madrigal guys who are smaller in stature, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Hit tools that are like 70, 75. It, it doesn't make any sense that these numbers haven't translated. He hit 322 across AAA this year with a 408 on base. And that's even after slumping the last two months at AAA. Yeah. I mean, you got to think it's mental. I think it's hundred percent mental. It has to be. And he's, Every time he goes up to the plate and gets out, there's more pressure on the next at bat. 
same as Will Myers right now. I and mean, Will Myers is in a, just a spiral whirlpool of right. Kevin shit. Kevin he wrote that article yesterday on it where he just gets in his own head because he hasn't, he doesn't even get the opportunity anymore. Which is so weird because Myers is pressure on himself. Myers is more of a veteran. You would think he'd be able to figure that out himself a little bit more and realize that he shouldn't be putting too much pressure on. Urias is 22. This guy, this he's trying to make an impression at the major league level so he doesn't get sent down or get traded. Or I don't know if he's performing well. Maybe he's more likely to get traded at this point. But I, I would love him to be the second base option going forward just because of his age and the versatility he brings, defensive value, running the base value, offensive value. doesn't profile for power, but he does almost everything else. So that's a guy I want at second base. I mean, it makes you – Consider the Padres hitting coach, Johnny Washington. Is he? They always like baseball teams love to blame the hitting coach. I mean, look at Alex Dickerson this year. He left and now he's batting 400. Definitely new hitting coach. Doesn't look good on Urias Washington. Crushing triple A. He comes up. Johnny Washington works with him. Can't hit. And I've heard really good things about the the Padres minor league hitting coaches coming up in in triple A. So it looks like Green and Washington are both. Goners. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, being a hitting coach at the major league level is such a tough job. You have a very short leash. You get blamed when everything's going badly. You get no credit when things are going well. Being a, it sucks being a hitting coach. And yet, Darren Balsley has been there forever as a pitching coach. Kind of. I mean, he's done wonders again. We have the yes. best, best bullpen in baseball right now. Do they? I think so. You just pulled that out of your ass? We have one of the best bullpens in baseball. We have a good bullpen. <laughs> and they do play baseball. We'll say that. And the staff, we never really expected anything out of the staff, and they've been okay, too. We, we I don't have the league average ERA numbers in front of me, but they've been okay. Just from an eyeball test, they've been fine. We're not expecting anything from Lauer, Lucchese, and they've been okay. Paddock's been really good. Um, just going forward with, with Washington, I don't – I would imagine him and Green are gone next year, un- unfortunately for them. I have no attachment to them personally. I, I do feel just a little bad for Andy Green, who's suffered through all these years of losing – and now they're starting to get young and good and exciting, and he's out. But this was a really big test for him this year, and they have been terrible since the All-Star break. Awful. And who else? I mean, someone's got to take the blame for it, and it's usually the manager or the hitting coach. In this case, both, and they're they're probably both gone. Right. Last thing we wanted to do before we get to our interview with Chris Welsh from Prospect One is throw a little spotlight on – a couple minor leaguers who I, I've had my eye on recently. So checking in at number 13 on my midseason rankings, which is a very solid ranking for this guy who's just still a, a teenager. Wait. Yeah, he'll be he'll be 19 in September. Or no, he'll be 20 in September, sorry. Playing second base for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, Tucupita Marcano. Tucupita. I just wanted to say that again. Wade's learned how to say his name properly now and just loves saying his name. Named of Tucupita. He's from... Venezuela. Tucupita. Right. Born and raised in Tucupita. There's a story about behind his name, too. I think he was named after his dad or something, um, who was also named after the, the town. We'll get into that oh, later. Oh, the famous Tucupita? From, yeah, that guy. Tucup- from Tucupita, Venezuela? <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it. Shout out to Pita. Who's Pita? You remember Pita? From Man on Fire, which is one of my favorite Denzel Washington movies. Oh, great movie. The girl, um, what's her name? The Teeth Girl. The Teeth Girl. What's her <laughs> real name? She's all grown up now. Oh, my God. 
Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning. That's, that's it. it. I was going to look it up and I jumped in there with it. Uh, she plays Pita, living in Mexico City, the, the whitest girl in the world, living in Mexico City and getting kidnapped. And that's one of Denzel's best. Denzel goes full Denzel. It's one of the best revenge, uh, like, I don't know, character goes crazy movies and murders everyone. What's the genre for that? I don't know what it's called, but similar to like a Taken with Liam Neeson, you know, same kind of type of thing. Anyway, Tuku or uh, Tuku Pita. He was part of Preller's 2016 slash 2017 international spending frenzy where he ended up spending in total plus overage taxes, like over $80 million on international free agents. And probably one of the key reasons why MLB changed their international signing rules. So thanks to AJ Preller for that. He hit 365 across rookie ball and short season balls an 18 year old last year. And he's been in high A or I'm sorry, low A this year also holding his own. He's he doesn't really profile as a power guy at all. So if you've heard that before, that sounds like Luis Arias. That sounds like Xavier Edwards. But he does a lot of other stuff. He bats lefty, throws righty, plays second base, so it works. He generates a ton of contact. He's got a really good approach for such a young player. Gets on base at a really good clip. Leading off recently for Fort Wayne, which you like to see is just a a 19 year old, I mean, which isn't too young for the level anymore, but it's maybe about average or slightly, uh, slightly young for the level has 24 walks in 81 games. And he's got a, not a huge Walker, but something to build on at least going forward. He's got a, he's got a really good plan at the plate. You can tell he has a plan. He's not running well this year. He's been, he's nine stolen bases and he's been caught 11 times. So something's up there, but those numbers, you never really know. We talked about what goes into stolen bases last week. And we, I kind of don't know what to interpret from these numbers yet, because in the past he's been a pretty solid to average stolen base guy or, you know, asset on the bases, but hitting 281 in low a this year and 334 at bats, just the two home runs. But I think another guy kind of in the Xavier Edwards mold, who's going to be able to contribute as, I mean, people are already, he's a helium guy already. He's a helium guy in the offseason, which means prospect evaluators were starting to notice him and like, wow, his hit tool's really good. This could be a guy. Right. Another guy, big frame, six foot. He's only 170 pounds listed right now. So he's got to put on some weight. But he's a young kid. I mean, the problem with the Padre system, shortstop and second base were loaded. Loaded. And so we, does he have a long term staying power there? Or are we going to move him to the outfield? He's got some guys ahead of him. Shortstop, we we know is loaded. We've talked about shortstop, and now with Xavier Edwards being pushed off to go to second base, along with a couple other guys, Luis Rios, who's just still twenty two, unless something happens to him, second base is pretty deep. Middle infield, just in general, is deep. So, what's the long term plan for these guys? You leave them in low A this year. Edwards is in high A, and you start seeing progression. And maybe these are all poker chips that you end up trading anyway. And yeah, I mean, can't complain about depth. No, love having depth. It's it's either going to help your major league team directly or it's going to help them indirectly via trade. And one potential issue is going to be 40-man roster concerns when these guys end up spending four or five years in the minors, they start becoming eligible for the for the Rule 5 draft, and you either have to protect them on the 40-man, or you risk losing them in this Rule 5 draft and other teams can claim them. And hopefully that doesn't happen to a guy like this. I can't imagine it would. I mean, on my personal list, he's the 13th best prospect in the system, in a system that's pretty loaded. So it would make sense that eventually he'll move to the 40 man. But for now, hanging out in the low minors, he'll probably get a chance at high A next year when Edwards and 
Um, others, Gabriel Arias, end up moving to double A. Last guy we want to talk about before we get out of here to our interview is Edward Olivares. And the name might sound familiar to you as a guy who came over in the trade that sent Jan Hervé Solarte to the Blue Jays. So he was formerly Blue Jays property. Yes, Jan Hervé's. You know where he is right now? Japan, right? He's playing in Japan for my Hanshin Tigers. Last time I was in Japan, I I was in Osaka. And I, I don't know how far the Hanshin Tigers play out of Osaka. It might be in Osaka proper or it could be further down the road. But anyway, I went and saw a Hanshin Tigers game. That's the only game I went to in Japan. And now he's playing for Hanshin. So I feel pretty good about that. That's your squad? It's my squad now. Yeah, I got like a little towel giveaway thing that's up in my room. You know he was the clubhouse guy for the Potters a couple years. I wonder how... Well, now Hosmer's our clubhouse guy. translates oh, how over tra- in Japan. <laughs> Probably not the best, but going back to Oliveris, um, came over from Toronto in exchange for Solarte. That was in 2018. He was signed by the Blue Jays as an 18-year-old out of Caracas, Venezuela. So a countryman to our boy Tucupita, who has the best name in the minors. Slow and steady rise. He was not a fast-moving guy through the system at all, but he's having a kind of a breakout at age 23 in Amarillo, which is double A, hitting 299 with 15 home runs in 95 games. He's also chipping in 22 stolen bases and 30 attempts. So nice little power speed combo outfielder who is 23 and potentially just kind of a late bloomer, maybe, and was also a double A all star this year representing our sod poodles. So you'd and, love to see that. Yeah, I mean, 23, you see that on the older side, but. Rookie of the Year candidate, Pete Alonso, still 24. Not, yeah, still not too old. And we, remember we were talking about Renfro. Renfro was 25 hanging out in El Paso. And sometimes there's just not a lot of room for these guys. And guys like Olivares develop a little slowly. This is kind of, I think, his his best season in the minors. Like, no question about it. And he's walking, hitting for power. And he's a big running. guy, too. 6'2", 190. He's, he's, a, he's a built dude. And he, he runs, hit for – you love the – the combo of the power speed. So those are, they have him playing center at, for the sod poodles. Do you see him staying as a center or is he more corner outfield guy? I'm thinking I haven't seen him in person. I don't know how it's hard to grade defensive metrics in the minors. I'm sure those numbers are out there somewhere, but pro center field's really hard to play at the major league level to an above average because these guys are all so elite. Like you can, if you're an elite center field defensive prospect, like for example, Christian Pache with the, the Braves, who has been floated out in deals for Noah Syndergaard. Um, he's not a guy the Braves would ever move because he's a legit 80 defensive center fielder. And you end up, when you get to the major league level, you start seeing guys like Margot, Pache, who's going to be up there probably next year, Mike Trout, Ender Enciarte. So Enciarte is a guy that doesn't even hit, but is so elite defensively. Ronald Acuna had to move off center field because Enciarte is the guy in center field in Atlanta. So I don't see Oliveras, unless you're a standout, a well above average center fielder, there's other, you stick you in the corner because right. the, the Potters are most likely going to find someone of defensive value that can do better. Like Manuel Margot, who's only a year older than him. Margot probably is only hanging around right now. He's a late inning substitution because of his defense. And Jankowski right now. And John Kowski's in the back in triple too. A, hitting three forty four. And I don't small mind. sample size, but he can he can field. I don't mind Jankowski. Yeah, he's he, got speed. He hits a when he's hitting, he's a lot more appealing. But the defense is always there. The speed's always there. 
I don't mind him as a fourth outfielder. And Margot's been hot lately, so it'll be interesting to see what the Padres do the remaining of the year. It's just going to be really interesting in general to see what the team looks like next year because there's a lot of prospects are coming up every season. Where do they all go when they're ready? Because the major league level already has a bunch of these young guys up. And so outfield, Renfro, Margot, Reyes, Will Myers. Log jam. Like where do these guys all go? And then Olivares needs a place to go. And then you start bringing up, I mean, starting pitching, you can find room for, but other guys like in a couple of years, where's Xavier Edwards going to be CJ Abrams, uh, Tucupita, where do these guys all go in a couple of years when all the young guys who are up there now, like Tatis is still only 20. He's not going anywhere. Arias. I don't know. Mejia. I kind of still don't even know. He He's shown flashes of it. But he looked terrible defensively today. Yeah, he was getting crossed up. You've got Logan Allen in the minors. You've got Luis Campusano, who we're gonna we're gonna chat with again, Chris Welsh. We're gonna talk about Campusano a little bit and where he fits in the future. But Olivares, fourth outfielder guy with power speed, there's always gonna be room for him. It's just I don't know if it's as a starter yet. All right, let's get to our interview with Chris Welsh, and we'll get out of here. <laughs> All right, we're joined by Chris Welsh. He's on Twitter at Is It The Welsh. He's the podcast owner uh, of In This League Pod and Prospect One. All right, Chris, are you working on anything else these days? Uh, too much. Too much. A little overextended, <laughs> my friend. Yeah, uh, people can catch me. The main stuff is in this league.com. That's what I've been doing for, for five plus years with my uh, co-owner, Scott Bogman. Uh, birthed in that was Prospect One. Uh, it's been around a couple years now. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's one of the, I think it's a little bit different in the prospect realm, um, pretty highly received as far as, you know, my listeners, not that they're going to, you know, down talk it, but it's a fun show talking about fantasy prospects, but yeah, I got a bunch of other stuff. I do a radio show on the fantasy sports radio network, and I have got uh, a very fun show on fan called the fantasy black book with uh bestselling author, Joe Pizapia and Scott Bogman as well. We do that a couple times a week, but, uh, in, uh, at is it the Welsh is the best way to find all this stuff. Okay, good. So that is it the Welsh on Twitter. That is a lot of stuff, man. I don't know how you do it all. Yeah, I don't know why I do it all either. <laughs> and we, you're, uh, you stuff. can stay friend of the show now. You're this is your second time on. You can say officially friend of the show, Chris Welsh. I'm very glad to be a friend of the show. I'm excited <laughs> to talk uh, some Padres here. Yeah. So um, since last we talked, we have transitioned to a Padre prospect show, which is better for me because I'm from San Diego and I'm a big Padre prospect uh, advocate. And they're the most fun system in baseball anyway, so it just kind of works all the way around. But I wanted to start with Luis Patino because the whole reason or the the motivation for me to start talking to you today was I saw on Twitter, I follow you by the way, uh, that you were kind of asking your followers to compare Luis Patino from the Padres with Davey Garcia of the Yankees. Um, Kind of just a poll, who would you rather have? Was that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I was doing, for one of the episodes of Prospect One, I do it once a week. I just decided I try to mix things up occasionally, talk in different ways. You know, people, I mean, you can never satisfy everybody in talking about prospects. If you don't talk about the biggest names, you know, then people complain. If you don't talk about the guys that, you know, are coming up, people complain. So I like to change stuff up. So what I decided to do, I was like, oh, you know what, this last one, I'm going to do a player debate series. So I had created 
I think six player debates. I brought them some some other guys from the industry on, and I wanted to pull uh, the people out on Twitter to see what they thought, and then me and the guests would kind of just have a conversation comparatively about it. And the Luis Patino, David Garcia one was actually the I think the second highest received as far as votes go. About five hundred people weighed in because this one had a lot of differing. Well, I'm not sure it had differing opinion, but it had a lot of uh, opinion uh, overall involved in it. Well, Padre prospect fans are very passionate these days. Padre Twitter has taken off, and they're getting rowdy with the the success of the team, and then all of a sudden the not success of the team. And the prospects have always been something that everyone's been paying attention to, at least the last few years, because of that's been our future. The the Padres have been a bad team, so you follow the prospects. Uh, Patino is starting to get on everyone's radar. Is an elite pitching prospect. He he kind of you know busted out last year, um, but wasn't really considered a top, top guy yet. And this year, I feel like since he's, he's only 19 dominating high a, I feel like he's finally become someone that is, is noticed by at least even, even the casual fans. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, no, that's definitely accurate because, you know, I live out in Phoenix. So one of the big pluses I have is I've got all these spring training complexes, or I got half of the spring training complexes for the cactus league. The Padres happen to be one of them. When I started to like really invest my time into the you know prospects and building the show and doing that type of stuff i started spending this is multiple years ago spending time out at the complexes because they do not only spring training they do azl and they do this thing called extended spring training where Mm -hmm. it's these transitional periods between full season ball and the end of spring training and you know these guys not jumping into their you know their full season assignments and ironically luis patino this was, I believe, and during extended spring training last year, he was a pop-up guy. Like, no one was talking about him. No yeah. one had anything going on. And I caught him in an extended spring training game. I videoed it. I tweeted it out. And it got a, it got a good amount of pub because in that same game, Melky Cabrera had been rehabbing. Um, and he was going on in this game. And Luis Patino, I had not even, he was on my radar. And I'm going, who is Luis Patino? This is crazy. The slider, this fastball. And he made Melky look silly. And Melky then followed him on Instagram after. And then we had a lot of people responding to my stuff being like, I was wondering why there was this connection. And that was, at least as far as my eyes go, it was kind of the start of Patino's you know, Patino's kind of like uh, eyes on him, not not the rise, not like, ooh, I got the video and he was discovered. It was just I started putting some video out there because he wasn't doing, um, you know, any of the full season stuff. This was actually, I think, his first stint. Um, this might have been, no, he had done a little bit in the AZL, but this was kind of the first thing after the AZL. And then he just skyrocketed, skyrocketed up attention to everybody, just like you said. And luckily, I have stock in him and in Davey Garcia in my dynasty league. I know you're a big fantasy guy. I've yep. got both these guys. And I was, I mean, I don't think the comparison, I don't know what your guests said when they came on your show, but is the comparison really that close? Or how do you compare the two guys, Davey and uh, Luis? Well, the person I had on Ray Butler, who runs uh, Prospects 365, to talk about this specific one. And for him, you got to remember, we are we're kind of looking at this from the, the fantasy perspective, but in all of it kind of intertwines just the prospect that they are. And, and again, yeah. you know, I, I take this, even though I do mainly like to talk about it from the fantasy perspective, I'm out on the field. I'm out watching these guys. And I have not seen Davey Garcia in person, but I've seen a lot of Luis Patino and talked with him uh, in person. I'm a huge fan, but Ray took the side that this is very, very close. Like, he had these guys next to each other. Because you do have to remember, with Davey Garcia, 
he's rocketed up their system. He went from oh, high yeah. A to triple A this year, where Patino has kind of let, I mean, not that they need to move him at all, but he's been a nice level of production. But um, Ray had him them really close. But I would tell you the consensus argument after saying, hey, these guys are relatively close, is that Luis Patino is the player that everybody wants to bank on because there's a higher set of arsenal. He's a little bit bigger. Athleticism's a little bit higher. And people worry about like a 5'9", 5'10", pitcher in Davey Garcia where Luis, I mean, Luis Patino has shown his athleticism. You guys probably know um, that run where he altered his uh, he altered his approach to Mackenzie Gore. Those two became yeah. best buddies, and he started using the high leg kick. So, I mean, he's an incredible athlete with a great arsenal of pitches, good command. I mean, he, he's a future he's a future star. It's not a downturn of Davey Garcia. I do think it's close, but the consensus was Luis Patino is the guy, and he won by like 65%. Nice. Okay, good to hear that. Um, on our show last week, we did a little comparison of our own, Embracing Debate. We were talking about a guy who was taken in last year's draft, Xavier Edwards, with a guy who was taken in this year's draft, C.J. Abrams. And yes. they're both a little different. Abrams looks like he can stay at short, at least for now. Xavier Edwards, they've already moved off onto second base. He's in high A, though. Um, as a guy taken last year out of high school, already up in high A, he's been hitting really well his, for the last year and a half now. And, and Abrams, I mean, you probably know the start that Abrams is off to. They're both unreal. Like You, you, can't, you don't ever expect that in your, in your wildest dreams that a guy would step off, off the high school field and onto a professional field and be this good, this fast. Just wanted to hear your take on, you know, comparing. I mean, they're very, they're a little, a little different um, in terms of body type and size and in game. Edward doesn't have any power yet. But just what do you think about both of those guys moving forward is potentially, you know, the next middle infield combo for the Padres? Yeah, I see it. Um, to tell you, I was at both of their pro debuts with the Padres. Uh, Xavier Edwards, the, you know, last year, I chatted with him just for a couple moments before he proceeded to just get on base every single time and steal bases. I was at CJ Abrams' pro debut this year where he just went, I, I mean, I was video, videoing it and people can find it on my Twitter. It's just everything he did. It was, it was incredible. I got the home run. You can go and look at that. And he's been nothing short of amazing. And, I, and I've talked about this a few times, like the AZL right now at here. There are a couple guys that are defying performances offensively that I've seen, you know, in multiple years. And CJ Abrams, CJ Abrams and Marco Luciano, frankly, are the two most impressive hitting pro debuts I've seen out here in the AZL. And comparing the two guys, I actually think their approach isn't too crazy far off. I mean, Abrams has shown a tendency to wait for his pitch where like coming in, people thought he was maybe a little bit aggressive. He's got such a natural, natural swing. I wouldn't call it crazy bat speed, but I would call it just a very natural approach. He finds his pitch. He sprays the ball all over the field. He is one of the fastest people I've ever seen. He's got, as I call it, Byron Buxton speed. Um, he's an incredible athlete. I know he wants to play short. I, you know, this team, if he sticks with this team, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Where Xavier Edwards, uh, you know, I don't know if he's, I want to assume he's going to develop power. He actually has a little bit more of a, of a cut approach, like a little bit more bat speed, way more patient. This is a total on base guy. He is looking to steal every single time he's up comparative to what I've seen with CJ Abrams, even though Abrams is, you know, he's a successful base dealer. But I mean, I think the power is going to be a huge differential. I think Abrams is a guy that can hit three in a lineup where Edwards is a pure, you know, leadoff type of a hitter. They're both incredibly impressive. Edwards is probably the better pure hitter, but Abrams is the best combination of athleticism and just pure baseball tools 
in this, I mean, I would say offensively in this organization that still qualifies as a prospect. So I love both of these guys. I've, I've chatted with both of them. Abrams is a really nice guy, smart kid, as is Edwards. He's a funny guy. Uh, he's just a bit smaller, so it's hard to get projections, except when I had a friend, uh, Chris Blessing from Baseball HQ, had put this comp of Ozzy Albies on him pre-draft. And I thought that was really negative because I felt like that kind of built up some of the expectations that this guy's going to be dropping all these home runs. But Great pure hitters, and the Padres are really, really lucky to have these guys. Well, and Albie is a little overlooked as an international guy, and maybe Xavier Edwards is a little overlooked as a guy at the back end of the supplemental round. So I, now, in in hindsight, maybe the, the comparison's a little better. And at the time when Albies was a stud last year, uh, maybe a little too much pressure to put on Xavier Edwards. Yeah, I, I think I think some of it, too, is kind of like that you know, Edwards, smaller body type. Like, like it's not a, you can't deny yeah. if you've seen Edwards in person, he's got this swing where it's like, man, if he really figures this out, he could develop power, but he, but when he gets into in-game approaches, he's slapping the ball. I mean, it is yeah. nothing but balls on the ground. It feels like, I think he's got in 2019, 19 total extra base hits of his 125. So, you know, he's an absolute dude, but he's just not getting the ball. It's, it's still time for development for the ball to get up but Abrams is already there like Abrams is this crazy crazy athlete long arms when he gets into you know building some muscle like he could look like a Byron Buxton but with I think more secured talent sounds like uh the future is bright for San Diego prospects maybe uh <laughs> <is> yeah that... <laughs> yeah it's no doubt and also you know for the team one thing I love is this team they are incredible with what they do with pitching prospects. You know, I've been seeing this for like, I, I was reminiscing about this on our ITL baseball podcast. Like I was on the backfields out here in Phoenix when Adrian Morion came stateside, like he had never pitched. No one saw anything. I'm standing next to him, you know, five foot 10 at the time on the backfields. He's just wearing a shirt, not doing anything. I was there for that moment. And he just pitched in the big leagues and they just churn these guys out. Joey Cantillo is another one of those right now, but the hitting side is something that I've wanted to see develop more. And then now you look, Urias has progressed. Tatis is gone, but they've added Abrams. I love his Tori Ruiz, what they're doing on the hitting side. They got a couple other ACL guys too, in Hudson head. They're really, really building such a powerhouse of a minor league system that's sustainable for years to come. This is why they're just impressive overall. Speaking of uh, being impressive overall, Mackenzie Gore, who I know you have an affinity for, yes. has been just one of the studliest guys in the minors this year. And we were talking on our show, what's a reasonable expectation for him to come up to the Padres? And I mean, there's no need to rush him this year, but I think he's a real candidate for the rotation next year. If he keeps progressing, goes to spring training next season, maybe like Jesus Lazardo did, and just wins a job because he's so dominant. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, I think it's a it's definitely a possibility. Here are the positive signs. He's in double A already. He's struggling a tiny bit. He's got like a four ERA and three starts. But I mean he's not walking anybody. He's just been a little run happy and the batting average has creeped up. But that's a big jump from advanced A to double A. But you know, like Chris Paddock is he's kind of a mold of this where they're just like, Hey, listen, we're gonna put the best guy out here to win. They did it with Tatis Jr. So I think yeah. the Padres have developed a system that we can look at and say they're going to put the best players out there. So I think that gives the opportunity for that to happen with McKenzie Gore. Now it's a little bit different with Paddock. He was older, you know, the, the Tommy John, all that type of stuff. He had, you know, he was a little bit more pressed and ready to go, but McKenzie Gore is 
the most talented pitching prospect in a pro debut that I've ever seen. Cause uh, like when I saw his pro debut, he has now become the benchmark I have for comparing, comparing where I'm at with other pitchers. Like, okay, this guy was partly gore or this guy's on the gore level. That's like where, when I see Michael Kopech or uh, Hunter Green, you know, it was kind of on these same levels, but still nobody had the stuff of Mackenzie Gore. Uh, I'm he's my number one uh, pitching prospect as far as my ranks go, and I don't think I'm not sure he would break camp. I, I'm not sure we're quite there yet. I think they'd want to see some more seasoning. I'd be really curious if they send him out here to the Arizona Fall League, but he is already almost up um, hitting the 100, you know, pitch marker. So I think they might try to chill him out around 120. And then maybe, maybe he comes up, you know, June or July of next season. But I think it's absolutely an opportunity for him to be in the rotation. I just don't know if he breaks camp. That's a good point. It's it's tough when you're you're managing these guys' workloads. Like Patino hasn't thrown many innings yet in his career. Gore hasn't. Um, Paddock, you know, coming off the injury this year, he's going to be limited. It's just it's real tough building that innings up. So you can break camp. So you're you're probably more. Uh, on this than I am. Uh, I'm more the optimistic view, hoping that Gore can just wow everybody next year and make we, camp. But we'd also need to see like something to consider with all of this as well is like, who are the Padres going to be in the next couple days? Like, I don't know when exactly this airs, but like who are the Padres yeah. going to be at the trade deadline? Are they going to make a massive move for a guy like Noah Syndergaard or Marcus Stroman? Who are they going to be in the off season? Because what they may do is they may pull the Yankee side. You know, they may have this veteran based rotation of guys where it really takes a rookie to break through. I'm not sure they want McKenzie Gord to be that because he's an incredible athlete. He's going to be able to hit mm-hmm. when he gets up as well, but I just don't know if they're going to need to press themselves. And, and like I said, God knows what they are in, in one week from right now with the trade deadline and stuff. Maybe Noah Syndergaard's a part of the rotation. Yeah, it's a good point. We, we really don't know what, the, I have no idea. Preller is an enigma. I have no idea what he's thinking at any time. I don't think anybody does really. <laughs> um, Edward Olivares is another guy I wanted to talk about because to me, he kind of disappeared when he came over. He had a little bit of hype um, in that Jan Hervis Solarte trade with the Blue Jays. And then for me, he kind of just disappeared. Last year was okay. Um, as a 22 year old in high A, didn't really wow me. This year, doing it in the upper minors at double A, finally appears like he put things together. Is he a dude now for you or is he just uh, another guy? I think he's kind of still a fourth outfielder to me, but you know who he reminds me of if people want to get like some type of comp in their brain of maybe the player he could be is like Oscar Mercado with the Indians. You know, Oscar Mercado, weirdly, I, so many people thought he was going to be like this Billy Hamilton type. All oh, these stolen bases, where's the power? And I said, no, nah, I think he's going to even out. He's going to be more stolen bases than power, but he's like a solid, you know, number two type of a hitter, a 15 15 type of a guy. I think Oliveris is kind of a like a little bit of a lower version of that. Ultimately, like I said, I I would assume he's going to be a fourth outfielder. It's great to see the stats and what he's doing in the Texas league, 23 stolen bases, 16 homers. If you're stat diving on this guy, there's a big major improvement across the board, but you know, we've seen some of this stuff from guys, you know, like Corey Ray and stuff that can, you know, go nuts on the homers and stolen bases. I'm excited to see the strikeouts aren't too high. He could be given an opportunity, but, I'm not sure if it's as a Padre, because I mean, look at your guys' outfield right now and the guys that are still coming. Uh, but Oscar Mercado would be maybe a comp that people could put wrap their brains around. Yeah, I mean, if he keeps doing what he's doing this year, potentially trade bait and some kind of deal with maybe a Noah Syndergaard or a Marcus Stroman or maybe something next year. Um, you never know, but it it, does, it never hurts to have too many chips at the poker table, if you know what I mean. You can exactly. always use them. Um, a couple guys I wanted to talk about with you, get your 
your feel on were uh, a combo of Jason Rosario and Tirso Ornelas, who are both in high A right now. Both really young for the level still, but the last couple of years I've been excited to see these guys play. They're both very young. They're playing above their heads. Um, I like the on-base skills for both. Everyone talks about how great the swing is from Ornelas. And this year, it seems like they both took really big steps backwards. Um, they're not starting as much as they used to. The averages are down. The on-base is down. Uh, what have you seen from these guys that makes it that made them kind of both fall on their face this year? Well, Ornelas actually right now is out here. He's out here in Phoenix. Um, They've been calling it a rehab type of a thing. But I think it's been more about a retool because he was in um, he was in the Cal League and he was really suffering. And, you know, the stats are so inflated in the Cal League. Like you see a guy and I know he's younger, but big six foot three, 200. Mm. He's, I don't think he particularly has great bat speed, but he's got a, you know, a nice smooth swing pitch recognition. Uh, pitch recognition has never really been there, even when he was out here in the AZL. And I think just body type, and then, you know, you can get on top of AZL pitching a little bit. So when he made that move, you know, into the Cal league and into the Midwest league, like the average has never developed. So he struggled in the Cal league, which is a known hitter friendly place, got hurt, Started rehabbing out here, but he's now been here for 11 games and his actual active roster situation is no longer set as rehab. It's active for the AZL Padres one. So he's playing on the same team as CJ Abrams right now. Yeah, and that's it's not good. And it's a total retool. And he's struggling out here. He's hitting 170 with a 264 uh, OBP right now. Couple stolen bases, no extra base hits and 47 at bats. This is a place that you should be doing that. I mean, look at CJ Abrams. CJ Abrams is a mm-hmm. year younger, and he's the best hitter in the AZL right now. So I'm worried about Tersor and Ellis. He's a physical freak, but his pitch recognition and overall baseball skills haven't caught up to his physical skills. And that's a worry. With Jason Rosario, man, did I love him. He is such a unique character because um, I reported on it a couple years ago when he was out here in the AZL. He had some character things. He, he had multiple weird character things where he got taken out of games for not running stuff out, doing weird stuff. He's just kind of an interesting character. Uh, huge OBP guy, but just like Ornelas, something has happened as he's moved through. Pitch recognition is not there. He's still waiting on pitches. Walked 56 times, but he struck out 90 times so far this year. And he's got a 222 average, which is not his game. He reminds me of this broke version of like Taylor Trammell, where Taylor Trammell has dropped four straight years in batting average and OBP, and he's trying to like redevelop his game, where Rosario's kind of in the same way. His average has dropped three straight years. His OBP's coming down, slugging. All his offensive numbers are coming down while he's still sitting on pitches and trying to get on base. He's not developing the skill of finding out, you know, Here's a curveball. Here's a fastball. I'm jumping on this pitch. So I don't know where the hitter development needs to change. If I had to pick one of these guys I'm still banking on, I think it would be Rosario. But I'd be a little bit worried about both of them because they're taking some pretty significant back turns as far as they uh, as far as they go offensively. Well, I'm definitely worried. My worry worryometer is up to a, a nine on both of them. I liked them a lot last year, and I own shares of both of these guys too. And uh, so far... It has not been paying off for me. I may have to cut bait soon. We'll see. Um, last guy I wanted to talk to you about was Luis Campuzano, who was who was the catcher for the the Lake Elsinore Storm, or one of the catchers. Um, I've been up there a couple of times. He's been DHing twice, oddly, but he's been tearing it up 
I don't think he's he's not leading the league in hitting anymore, but he he has been for a solid chunk of the season. And the hit tool kind of seems like it got here much faster than I thought it would. He was a, a power guy. He had the arm coming out of high school. He was a helium prospect during the draft. Uh, the Potters took him as the first catcher off the board, I think, that year. How do you see him? Is he the future catcher of the Padres? Are we talking a couple of years? Um, is he going to put pressure on Hedges and Austin Allen and um, the rest and of the guys Mejia. in the system? Yeah, and, and Francisco Mejia. Um, is yeah. Campuzano, do you see him as a backup catcher or do you think he, he makes that next jump and become like an everyday guy? Um, I think he has the opportunity to be. The, it's really tough to tell kind of like at this stage, is he going to be like, I don't think he's set defensively as the guy. Like if you take the, the offensive skills and then you go and look and you're just like, you know, it's like Adley Rutschman. It's like, oh, all the mm -hmm. skills they're going to develop out and he's going to be the catcher. But I would say, I mean, I'm like a broken record here and I apologize, but like this is another one of those guys, his debut I was sitting behind one of the fences in one of his first at bats. He rocked this home run to left field. This was at the Texas Rangers stadium. It was so impressive. And I was there to see Bubba Thompson and whatnot. Mm. And he Love just, yeah, he, he turned on this ball that I would just like jaw drop. And this is, you know, multiple years ago, but I did tweet about it. It was, it was mind boggling the power and I instantly fell in love with him, but he kind of leveled out. Another positive thing was he was kind of the exclusive catcher to McKenzie Gore during the AZL. Those guys worked together. So I think those are really positive signs that, you know, I mean, not that they wouldn't have, but, you know, he's he's worked with guys like Luis Patino, McKenzie Gore. You know, the team has entrusted him in that. And they're just slowly moving him along. He's also a really solid athlete. Like I said, he's got big raw power. He has a really great approach and the best possible scenario of what you want long-term in these prospects is I don't focus so much on the power with the 270 average. Give me high batting average because the power will come. He is a exact example of that where I've seen his raw power. I don't care in 2018 that he hit three home runs. I did care that he upped his batting average by about 20 points. He went 269 to 288 this year. He's doubled that gone up 40 points. The powers come. He has only struck out 45 times in 323 at-bats. I mean, if you talk fantasy, catchers aren't the sexiest thing on the planet. But this is a guy at 20 years old I would be banking on for sure. Though I do think the system is going to kind of like slowly progress him along. And in real baseball, I'd be excited about him too because I, I think he's a better combination combo offensive defensive player than Mejia. And I know that's not saying much because Mejia is a garbage defensive player, but he's a great <laughs> offensive player. Uh, I yeah. think he's one of the better combo guys. So I'm very much in on Campisano. Great. Love hearing that. Um, the system remains loaded. They keep promoting guys and somehow they keep reloading them in the system. It's, it's really fun to watch. I love covering Potter's prospects. I, I know you do too. In the oh, they're, at least. They're, the, they're the best man. And they're all here right now. Like I said, Hudson Head is somebody people should really be looking out for. Big bat speed. He's out here in the AZL. They got this guy, uh, Joshua Myers, who's this big brick house dude. Almost looks like a little bit shorter Aaron Judge. Um, they just, like you said, they they churn these guys out. And internationally, they you know they keep bringing these guys over. And they did that in the international market with Brayon Medina. Uh, this you know past international signing period. So they just keep going, man. They're fun to watch, and I'm 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 at least at the ground floor when they get over stateside over at the uh, Padres complex. Well, that's why you're our guy in front of the show. We're going to have to get you back on to talk about all those new international guys they signed and uh, some of those guys that you mentioned in the draft this year, uh, Myers and Head. Is it Myers or Mears? I never heard uh, his name. Yeah, I, if I said Myers, it's, I think it's M-E-A-R-S. I think it's Joshua Mears. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, slip of the tongue is a very, very common. <laughs> he he's a trip of a prospect to watch, though, man. And you know, I'm gonna throw out one deep name for everybody to pay attention to. He's a pitcher for the Padres who really popped out for me this year. And go look him up. It's Loarbart Arias. Um, he's uh, very impressive. He's had some really good results. I've seen his starts three times now. Good three pitch combo. Loarbart Arias is a very young AZL pitcher to uh, be on the lookout for. Maybe almost maybe like a Patino in a year or two. Oof, don't, don't get me, uh, give me the vapors here. That's, uh, I'll have to keep an eye on him. Great stuff, Chris, as always. Thank you. We're, we're going to let you go now. Um, always welcome back on the show. Love having you. Are you, uh, are you working on anything right now? Publishing anything soon? Uh, when's your next show? Stuff like that. Uh, big stuff right now is, um, like I said, uh, the in this league stuff, we do two baseball, uh, podcasts a week. There'll be one out Monday. Prospect one is the thing that everyone here is going to care about. That comes out every week on Friday. Uh, next one up, I've got Brent Hershey from Baseball HQ. If they want to go back and listen to the Prospect Debate one, that's out. It's uh, everywhere that podcasts are. You can type in Prospect One. And if you guys are into you know AFL stuff and the first pitch conference and all these things, like in the next, even when baseball tampers down, I actually move up in podcasts because I'm out here in the AFL and covering it. So as the season goes out, I'll be talking about everybody that is playing in the AFL in season stuff, interviews, and I have a top 500 prospect list that's over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash ITL army. And that's updated every single month of the year. So uh, baseball ends. I don't. Yeah. The fall league. I, I love watching the fall league every season. That's, that's one of my most fun times of year as well. Follow him at, is it the Welsh Chris? Thanks again. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you, Chris Welsh, for being a friend of the show, coming back on the show. Always love talking to him. Let's uh, make like a tree and get the F out of here. Okay, we can go. So that's going to do it for today. Uh, appreciate you guys listening, checking out, subscribing as always. Please follow the Twitter account, at Friar Farmhands, where we post the podcast when it's up immediately. Uh, other little things that I'm musing about during the week. And we're going to be adding more and more content to it as the, as the weeks progress where we have a plan in place for the website and for the Twitter account and things are going to be growing and we're going to be adding stuff to it. So keep an eye out for that. As always, if you like the show, even if you don't like the show, subscribe. We're available on all your favorite platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. That's you. Jesus. Really? Uh, retribution this week. Do you have it in you? I'm going to, Okay, no pressure. I'm not going to cut any <laughs> any of this from right now going forward. So you have one chance to nail the dismount. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave your comments, questions, concerns, and your rating of the show on all platforms. You tiptoed through that so slowly. That was hilarious. Got it done. Nailed it, though. You've been listening to Believe in Padres Prospects on the nailed Believe it. Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. For Wade, I'm Ryan. See you guys next week. Just move on toward your destination. Though you may find from time to time. I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.